Yo, what's going on guys, welcome back to the Bot Talk and today's episode is episode 7 with Suroshu from Gwak. Quickly before we get into today's episode, we have two sponsors. One sponsor is from last week and will be a regular sponsor, meaning Notify Proxies has sponsored the show once again. And if you guys use the Bot Talk on checkout, you will get 25% off all your purchases from the website. And the second sponsor for today's episode is the Cop Supply. The Cop Supply is a website that hosts all the services, the best services, the best bots and the best groups. Head to the description down below and you guys will have to check out the website i highly suggest this website without further ado let's jump straight into today's episode on today's episode guys we have sudo shu who is the ceo of guap if you guys are wondering what guap is guap is a company surrounding providing the fastest car monitors and in this to provide release info a marketplace for users to buy and sell bots and services support regarding the bots in the scene and also with all our combined packages to create a successful experience for you guys when you guys are going for cops with their fast monitors. Sudoshu himself has a collective of 3,300 uh, combined followers on Twitter and Guap has over 5,500 followers on Twitter as well. In today's episode, we'll be diving into the origins of Guap and Sudo and how it all came to be. So jumping straight into the first question that we ask all our guests on the show, how did you discover reselling? Reselling, I got into um actually from a friend of mine from college so i went to university with the owner of blitz proxies um we were roommates freshman year of college um we ended up in this like overflow room with four other kids and we were the only two that kind of hit it off so um we've been friends ever since but basically he contacted me one day out of college i don't know if i had moved out into my own place at this point, or if it was uh, me like still commuting or, or if I was even done school at that point. But um, he basically hit me up and was like, hey, like I'm trying to basically sell proxies or like get into the proxy business. Is there any chance you can teach me how to do this stuff? Cause I've always been like everyone's tech friend. Like if anyone ever had tech questions, they would come to me and, and ask for help. So he ended up coming over one day um, to my place in the city. And we sat down and got deeper into it. Um, and I think at the time he had paid somebody on a website to basically sell him a script so that he could, all he would have to do is set up a server and click go and it would basically create everything for him, install squid and all that good stuff. Um, so we sat down, got it all configured and running. And it then led to the question, like, what is this for? Like, what are you selling these proxies for? I was super interested in him getting into this business and he's like oh you gotta you gotta see this stuff like there's this whole world of reselling and it's crazy like all of these people pay crazy money for these products and for proxies and for software and i was just starstruck and i think to me the motivation was oh my god like this is a world that i would strongly benefit from because i have a strong tech background and a lot of these drops are super technical where, you know, it comes down to, you know, cutting down latency on ping times or whatever it may be, just that kind of stuff. I had a very deep understanding of to the point where I was like, oh, wow, like I could see me being good at this, especially considering the community was so young and I had the experience that I did. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. He he pulled me in to help him with these proxies and, and things just kind of took off from there. Well, Every story that everyone brings to the show, obviously, everyone knows that I go ahead and say, oh, it was an amazing story, or oh, that's the most common story, but 
With that story, one thing that really, really highlights to me and probably to a lot of viewers is that you didn't know about the entire world. You kind of introduced from it from like a tree branch, which is proxies. And obviously proxies are heavily involved in this community in a combination with bots. So obviously when you did that and you got introduced into the community, it was kind of like a whirlwind of information and opportunities and like you said the motivating factor was it was something that you could highly benefit from which was the second question so obviously one of the most motivating factors of reselling is the financial side but other than the financial side did you ever see any other motivating factors um so i can think back to maybe one other time in high school where i had a friend who was very much a sneakerhead um and this was back when Nike used to do their drops on like Twitter, where they would just basically tweet out the link and people would go for the drops. Um, and for whatever reason, there was a shoe. I've never considered myself to be one like really into fashion or stuff like that. I mean, I grew up wearing like J. Crew and fucking Sperry's, you know, like nothing ever uh, big in a streetwear. Um, although I did do a lot of longboarding as a kid. Um, but I think that was probably the first time where I was like, huh, like, I can kind of understand why people get so excited and like into this whole other culture um, of, of shoes as kind of a whole. Um, But I think getting into this, my mindset has always been, how can I separate myself from the community in the sense that like, I don't become a hype beast. That was always my biggest fear is like, Oh my God, like this stuff's really cool and people are excited to have it. And when they get it, they can't, can't wait to like get it in their hands. But to me, I've tried so very hard to avoid getting wrapped up in that. Um, because I, I think when I kind of got into it, I said, you know, it'd be really cool if I could spend a couple of hours a week doing this and it brought in enough income that it was paying for my monthly expenses. That was kind of like the first thought process um, is, Hey, like if I am able to dedicate, you know, six hours a week to this and that'll cover my rent or, you know, my car insurance or whatever it may be, if I can get all of those expenses down and covered by something that is technically like a secondary income, then any money that I make for my my job just goes straight in my pocket. That was kind of the 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 motivating factor there. Um, obviously, that's since changed. Now I I feel like once you get deeper in this community, you start to go for all these drops, and you're like, ah oh, man, like you know, if I get enough of these, maybe I'll keep one for myself or whatever. Like you start to kind of bite into that. Um, it's like being tempted by the devil, where you're just like, ah, this is actually cool now. So. I think I was very ignorant into in the beginning and just thinking that like this is money, money, money. Um, and then later once I kind of grew an appreciation for this community and the streetwear in general, I started to like it more. Yeah, I think that is a common thing within people. Like you said at the beginning, the hype beast culture getting wrapped around in it. And one of the most common things people do see these days is that, uh, well, personally, for my opinion, you can see someone wearing a $3,000 outfit or a £3,000 outfit, but then they don't have any savings, they don't have any actual income or capital. Right. But obviously, like you said, you try to avoid getting wrapped into it until you got to the successful heights of saying, okay, if I cook 25 pairs, I'll keep a pair for myself. Or if I cook 10 pairs, I I think that 
reserving uh, capital and reserving pairs simply for financial gain and then maybe sometimes treating yourself if you do do successful on the drops is definitely right. the best way to go about it because end of the day you can have an interest in this culture but end of the day the main main motivating factor is money it's easy money if you know what you're doing if you invest the time into it but obviously it's very reassuring that someone high up in the community does say that the best way to go about it is to focus on the financials and once you become successful and maybe get some rewards here and there but sure. moving on moving on to the next question how did you go from someone who resells like you said to providing a service which is one of the biggest in the community um so i think after having that initial conversation with with the blitz proxies owner um we started talking more and more about it i mean obviously i just needed as much information as i could get i was asking him almost everything and at the time he was in house of carts which was like the be all end all of groups um and he was like oh yeah like people pay you know two three hundred dollars just to get into this group um some groups charge a monthly fee i think this was before cook groups really had that like strong foundation of you know this is fifty dollars a month you get in with house cars back in the day it was just like oh here if you're if you're friends with somebody and you can get in with the right people, then you just pay $300 and you're all, all of a sudden a member. Um, so I, I found that just so interesting that people were one, willing to pay to be in these groups merely just based upon like providing information for these people and providing these services. Um, so at the time I said, hey, why don't we try and make a group? Like we can, we can make these monitors ourselves, we can, we teamed up with uh, Davey from Adidas Carts, who was able to offer us carts. Um, and we started a group called Sneaker Side Hustle. Um, so our first group, the first group that I was ever really affiliated with was SSH. Um, shout out to those guys, they're they're awesome. So we got into it and obviously one of like the big competing things within these groups was like all these different groups had custom monitors. Um, meaning that each group had their own developer making those monitors for them, not someone providing the service. Um, so that was my first taste of actually writing some form of monitor. Granted, they were the ugliest HTML scraping bullshit you could ever imagine. Um, things just just like picking up Yeezy Supply password page. Um, and I had it running on my Raspberry Pi down in the basement. I mean, it was it was so archaic, but... It was so great because of what we were able to create as a team um, to kind of build that brand. So that was probably like the first real taste of like, okay, like here's monitors, um, here's what they have the power to do. Eventually what happened is I, I hit my limit of skill when it came to monitoring. Um, I don't have an extremely strong programming background. Uh, most of my background is in networking and technology and in IS in particular. Um, so I contacted my partner now, Pudgy Chicken, who is the lead developer for Guap. And I said, hey man, this community is really cool. Do you have any interest in helping me out? I've been writing these monitors. I've gotten to a point where I can't do much more than what my skill offers. And I feel like for us to really grow as a group, we could use somebody that like really has a, a strong foundation and understanding of this. So he said for the longest time, he's like, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Um, I think initially I tried to get him, pull him into write a bot. 
And he was like, no, I'm not interested in the bots. And then finally I was like, okay, well, what about these, these monitors? And for some reason, something just clicked in his head and he was like, that sounds really interesting. So not, but a few days later, he hits me up and he was like, hey, I want to take you up on this. I want to write monitors and I want to do it for the group. And so that's where it took off. That's where we started really making like hardcore, heavy Shopify monitors um, and got more into other AIOs. Um, but that only went so far within the group. We weren't, we didn't have like this huge user base. We weren't charging a ton. I think at the time we were maybe charging like $20 a month for users. We had a lot of friends and family, obviously. Um, and at the time, SSH's income was paying for all of our hosting fees, all of our proxies, all of that stuff. Um, we finally hit a point where we're like, oh shit, like we don't have enough money to sustain this to like go further and make it more powerful. Why don't we, rather than only provide this for SSH, start a business separate from all of this and begin selling it to other groups so that we can afford to do more? It was really just a matter of us wanting to make this stuff, but didn't want to invest our own personal capital into creating this software. So we ended up splitting off and saying, hey, guys, we're going to continue to provide this to you guys, but at the same time, we're thinking about selling it to other people so that we can take on more clients. It really doesn't cost us much more to add other people other than to kind of change the, the structure of things. So why don't we do this? And I think that's kind of where Guap began is that we, we separated from SSH and said, hey, let's start selling this to other people. Um, well, like you said, it kind of just exploded. From what you just told me, it kind of just gradually grew and then the catalyst activated and you just got introduced into this whole market of potential income that you could make for yourselves like you said uh you said that you needed more income and the opportunity was there to sell to other uh, possible consumers of the product and as everyone can see evidently in today's world guap is one of the biggest companies in the in the scene so obviously it did did do very well now moving on to the next question with a business the most one of the most important things is the name the name is what the consumer looks at and associates yourself with the company now where did the name guap come from <laughs> i love it when we get this question um just because i feel like people are expecting some like profound like oh we we stumbled upon this thing um but at the time so my my girlfriend's dad has always said the best way to name a company is something simple you know one to two words if possible keep it dumb simple so we're sitting there just brainstorming about names um and i think at the time i i'm still obsessed with with post malone i love his music i think he's one of the nicest people in the world um at the time we're trying to come up with something that kind of had to do with streetwear just kind of um i don't know catchy but also dealt with this community and so we're just spitting out words and finally i was like what about guap and he was like i mean what does that mean like i don't even know what that is it sounds cool like it rolls off the tongue well but like what is that word uh, so then i explained to him that it meant money and we kind of kind of laughed about it and said okay maybe we'll do that but the problem was we didn't we didn't have the ability to get the handles for that name. So we wanted the Twitter handle, we wanted the Instagram account. And that's been so big to me is having like a proper brand where everything kind of aligns and is super simple. 
um, at least from the viewer's perspective or the consumer, because that's how you sell a product so well. Um, and so we started off as Guap Cop. Um, it rhymed, it rolled off the tongue, and we're just like, okay, cool, we're gonna run with it. And that's kind of where it all where it all came from. Um, luckily, we've been able to kind of get our hands on some of these Twitter handles and other stuff, though, which has really helped us kind of form that a bit more. Well, it's nice to see that it all came full circle. Like you said at the beginning, the main one of the main motivations was income, and obviously Guap linking to the meaning of income. It's nice that it came all full circle, and also, like you said, as you progressed your success, you were able to get all these handles and align your business <laughs> in a very professional way. So that is one of the benefits of uh, increasing your income, increasing popularity, more connections in the community, and so on. Now, with the smallest level of disrespect or the smallest, not trying to insult what you do whatsoever. You like couldn't you insult me if you tried, trust me. Okay, with that being said, <laughs> like you said at the beginning, you try to get Pujitakin to come and make a bot, because obviously there is a lot of income within the bot. All the consumers know that bot developers make a lot of money. Now, my main question to you is, what was more attractive about creating this service that is Guap compared to making a bot? Uh, that's a good question. I think for Pudgy Chicken in particular, his his brain works in such a way that, oh, let me just say, without a doubt, he is the smartest developer I have ever met. Um, the guy understands things on a level that I, I just can't comprehend at times. And he has been a pleasure to work with throughout all of this. Um, we actually... We, we've known each other since middle school. We went to middle school together. Um, but he has this deep guttural obsession with optimization and efficiency. And I think that's what makes him a great programmer is that he looks at a problem and thinks, how can I make this as quick and efficient as possible with the fewest lines of code? And I think for him as me pitching these these bots and everything else and saying, look at the money, look at the money. To him, that just wasn't attractive. He was like, you know what? Like I make good money. He, he works he works a full time. He's a senior uh, developer at his company. Um, he, makes, he makes good money now. So he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna invest all of this free time in something if I'm not gonna be that, that interested in it. Um, and that just, I think once I started mentioning the monitors and he realized that it was more about efficiency and timing, he just bit onto and was like, oh, wow, like this I could, I could latch onto. And I think even at that point, he understood the level of complexity that he wanted this to reach um, in the terms of being able to add additional clients without it affecting our bottom line or affecting our speed. Um, and the way that I, I think he just engineered it in his head at that point and said, oh, wow, this could be a really fun project. Um, so I think a lot of it came down to that. The other part that we've continued to kind of talk about um, just when our, with our interactions with other bots and other developers was supporting a bot sucks. I mean, dealing with Discord servers full of users that are constantly complaining, why didn't I cop this? Why didn't this work? What's wrong here? Um, we even had this joke a while back where when we were still working with Trip on a lot of the stuff that they were doing, even if Trip were to successfully get every single user in that Discord a single box logo, there would be people complaining to get to. And I think that goes without saying that 
this community is tough to work in. I mean, there are a lot of critical people that aren't afraid to speak their mind. And to us, it was a lot easier to say, okay, like we can compare timestamps. We can compare this to that and say we've done better. But as a bot is concerned, there is so much more of a dynamic interaction with the user that we just weren't ready for, probably weren't built for. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say that's probably the best way to put it. Well, obviously, you're very honest there. And uh, I appreciate your honesty. I think uh, people knowing their strengths and maximizing their strengths in certain areas is definitely something that a lot of people need to take from in this community. I feel like some people see the money, go for the money. And like you said, your partner did see the strengths in himself and what he could do. Like you said, uh, monitor optimization, obviously performance. And he took those advantages and just continued with it and disregarded any ideas he didn't want to do and he didn't think he'd be the best at doing. So obviously that is something. And I think that's that... important. It's important to be honest with yourself, not only in life, but I think in this community as well, people are so starstruck by the money and the clout and the connections and all this other stuff, but don't realize that it takes a lot to get there and it's writing a good bot because there are going to be times where your stuff's not going to work and people are going to change things on these sites and it's a lot of upkeep. And I think a lot of people look at the end result and don't realize all of the blood, sweat and tears that went into getting there. Um, and I think part of that's just being young and thinking like, oh, wow, like, look at these guys. They, you know, look at I owning Splash Force and being, you know, this wealthy kid at such a young age or whoever it may be. Um, that's so easy to look at, but it's it's very hard to comprehend as as a younger adult um, what it takes to to maintain that. Okay, touching on the point you were just mentioning there, uh, the type of weaknesses and type of struggles, so to say. When you were starting to grow up and when you were progressing through grow up, what were some of the struggles you had with it? Um, I think initially, it was obviously very difficult for us to tell the SSH guys that we were going to start selling it. Um, I think at the time, Davey was, I, I don't want to say offended, but kind of like, well... Like, I thought this was kind of our thing, although he wasn't really involved in, like, the development of it. Um, that was has always kind of been Pudgy and I, a kind of a stab in the back to them where they're like, oh, wow, like, this isn't going to be only a selling point for our group anymore, which I agree sucks. But I think we all kind of came to terms with the fact that we couldn't make it better without the capital behind it. Um, once that happens and we finally said, OK, we're, we're a company, we're going to start doing this separately, the initial growth was pretty easy um and i think a lot of that just comes down to the fact that a lot of people were paying for custom solutions that required a lot of maintenance that required a lot of upkeep um whether it may be changing out keywords or you know making sure that all of your proxies are happy there's so many little things that come into just being able to consistently monitor a site um that these group owners were just like, God, I'm sick and tired of doing this. Like, I don't want to have to, you know, pay for these monthly proxy plans and constantly mm -hmm. update keywords. So us being able to provide a service where that was kind of hands off, where the, the owners could basically just continue to pay a monthly fee and not have to think about it. Um, mm -hmm. That was great for them. I think the first real 
struggle that we had to overcome was when Shopify decided to change things up on some of their endpoints, I think around February. Um, that was our, our first real like kick in the nuts um, as a company, because at the time, I think since maybe October, we had been hitting um, a specific endpoint that was fully accessible um, called GraphQL on Shopify. And mm-hmm. it allowed us to filter out absolutely everything to the point where we were able to pick up any change on any product across the entire inventory of their site on every site. And it was mm-hmm. extremely powerful. And I don't I don't believe many people were using it, at least not to that level. Um, so eventually Shopify, I think, so what happened was Shopify started caching some of their endpoints because they were getting tired of all of this traffic. Um, and when they did that, everyone else that was hitting the other endpoints moved over to what we were hitting. And once that happened, Shopify noticed all this additional traffic and said, oh, we're going to cut this off. So they killed access to it. And we were just sitting there kind of up the creek without a paddle saying, oh, shoot, like we need to basically start from scratch here. We have to start picking up a different endpoint. We have to learn all these new cache bypasses and all this other stuff. And at that time, it was just such a kick in the kick in the butt for us to say, okay, like let's try and move to something else because all of our competitors were doing the same. Um, and I think at that point, it really gave the opportunity to move in and, and form a name for themselves. Because at the time, other than a few other small companies, we were the only ones that really had a foothold in the community. Um, so that's when we had Glare start to come up and really, really start competing with us on a on a consistent basis. Um, same with Nary's and some of these other guys. Um, so that was definitely our first real big struggle where I'd say over that maybe two week period, we go, we both got, you know, 30 hours of sleep, just tearing our hair out, trying to figure out what endpoint do we need to move to? How do we handle all this stress? Um, but done and over with. Um, Shopify has been much more graceful recently. Not with checkout flow. Sorry for the bot guys, but at least for monitoring, it's been a little bit easier. Well, uh, one of the things you touched on during what that answered the question, you talked upon competition. And now one of the main things with competition is having the right team. Now, when you're recruiting someone to go up, what are the characteristics or skill sets you look for an employee to ensure that that employee lives up to the GWAP's uh, status in the community? Uh, that's a good question. I think, obviously, we're looking for honesty. Um, we want people that are able to recognize their strengths, know what they're not good at, and ask for help in those those different avenues. So my biggest thing, especially when looking for people working in the cook group, who can I hire that is self-sufficient? Because I already have to deal with so much when it comes to clients and users and making sure all the monitors are happy. I don't have time to micromanage people, and I don't want to. I don't like the idea. I've never personally enjoyed being micromanaged by by managers. Um, I like to be able to go off on my own, do my own thing, and know that people, you know, trust me to do it. So a lot of what we're looking for is people that are go getters. They're self sufficient. They're able to align with our vision, and can really capitalize on that. For 
and we've we've found a really great team while going through this entire process. I mean, we have King 1200, who is the reason I started the Cook Group in the first place and actually left SSH. Um, he was a big motivating factor in saying, Mason, you have this huge, huge thing going for you right now. You know, you have this big brand. Why don't you try and separate yourself from SSH and start a group yourself? Um, and that's what happened. So he he has been an amazing asset for the group and for Guap as a brand. Um, Subfootwear has been probably one of the hardest people, hardest working people I've ever met in this community. Um, those of you guys who don't know Subfootwear, he does our site lists, he does our calendar embeds. He is almost 24 seven constantly looking for giveaways, raffles, all that stuff. The kid works his butt off. Um, so great guys that just know what they need to do. They know what they're good at and they just do it the best of their abilities. And that's what we're always looking for. Well, with every guest we've talked upon that runs an organization, a bar, a proxy company, or a group, they always talk upon similar attributes that you just mentioned. And it's obviously reassuring for the consumers that are listening to today's episode on Spotify, YouTube, that you have a good team behind the product. So obviously if slip-ups do come, like you did mention for that two-week period, you have your entire team, you have yourself, you have Pudgy Chicken working constantly to make sure the products are standard to satisfy the consumers. But moving on to the next question, refocusing on yourself for a second. What were some of the positives and negatives from the success from Guap? Hmm. Um, I think this one's kind of funny too. I So for those that don't know, I do also own a company um, that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I own a, a home automation company, so I do a lot of residential technology installations for people in my area. Um, so whether that means installing big networks, um, doing more automation when it comes to control systems um, and entertainment systems, um, I do a lot of that on a weekly basis. So I think the biggest struggle for me at the time was being able to properly manage my time and know, okay, how do I dedicate the right amount of time to Guap and to sneaker Twitter while also being able to maintain my, my real professional life at the time. Um, and that has always been a very big struggle for me. And also in my relationship, just, you know, I've been dating a girl for almost or probably just about over four and a half years now. Um, where she has been very supportive of everything that I've done, um, but definitely a little bit weary of the Guap stuff and saying, you know, is this going to, how sustainable is this? Is this something that you can continue to do? And is it smart of you to focus more of your time on this than it would be your current day job? Um, and I think that has been a tough one for me mentally to kind of say, okay, how do I dedicate my time? to this and how do I say this is more valuable than that? Um, and I think over time, for me, I have started to dedicate more time to Guap where this is much more uh, my mainstay, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, we have the resources now where I feel comfortable doing that and I wouldn't have much trouble getting back into the stuff that I did previously. Um, but it did take a toll on that. It took a toll on my relationship for sure. Um, just because there are nights where we're up until 2, 3 a.m. trying to figure something out. And, you know, that could be a Friday night when I'm supposed to have date night. And I got to say, look, I have 
you know, all these clients, I have all this income that I am responsible for. And I know it sucks. And I know we were supposed to do this thing, but I have to do this because I have that responsibility. And that's, that's the responsibility that any business owner has to deal with and, and manage. Um, but I think things have definitely evened out at this point where, you know, I, I'm in a good place with my relationship. She understands when I need to take my time, I need to take my time. And that's how it works. Um, and I've gotten a lot better at managing my time in general, just being able to say, okay, Mace, you need to slow down, stop doing this and, and focus on this. Um, but I think that's the biggest struggle. Well, I'm really glad to hear that ship's going well and you're managing your time, Reva. That's obviously amazing to hear in anyone's life. But one key term that you did use in your explanation was, was uh, a business owner. And the next question is regarding your mindset. Now, with anyone that's owned a business, an organization or managed a business, from the get-go, from the start line to the end line or whenever you leave or how you're progressing, your mind will slowly open up to new avenues and new methods and new statistics that you need to look for when being a business owner. How was the journey owning Guap and how has your business mindset expanded throughout the time of owning Guap? Um, I think that initially getting into it, I've always been very much a solo guy um, where I don't like asking for help, which is funny because I hate it when people don't ask for help. Um, maybe because I like to be the one helping them, but I have always had a very hard time letting go of the responsibilities that I have or asking someone else to do them, um, because I tend to just take them all on myself. Um, I think part of that is being a bit more particular about how I want things done, um, while also trying to avoid being a micromanager. Um, but I'd say that being able to open myself up to that communication with other people has been huge. Um, and not only for the business itself, but through like my connections with the community and I would consider to be, you know, bigger people in this community. Um, and I, I think that goes so far as to say that like, there were times where we struggled on hitting certain sites or, you know, our proxies were having issues or whatever it may be. And it was so hard for me to reach out of my comfort zone and, and, and hit someone up and say, Hey, like I'm struggling right now. I can't figure this out. And I'm at my wits end. Um, there was a point where all of our proxies, so we, we, we own, manage, maintain all of our IPs, all of our proxy servers ourselves, um, just because we don't want to have to deal with leasing them through a proxy provider. There was one point where the network in which all of our servers were hosted went down and we were completely useless at that point. We had no proxies. And at that point we were using, I think this was still when Shopify required, um, like if you got banned on one Shopify site, you got banned on all Shopify sites. So you needed a lot of proxies. Um, I ended up, I think at the time we had just gotten cookie proxies as a, as a client. Um, I hit up the owner and said, hey, I'm kind of screwed right now. Is there any chance you have like two or 3,000 proxies I can use for a couple of days? And sure enough, he was like, yeah, we actually have a good chunk that's just sitting here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll just charge you this base fee or whatever. And you have them for 72 hours. And 
thank God that was more than enough time for us to get our network back up at this data center um, and get all of our proxies back and running. But that was, I think, the first time where I realized, shit, important to have friends in this community because if we get stuck like like that again, you know, not everyone's going to be able to hand out a couple thousand proxies for us to keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, that's good. Nice to hear that uh, cookies proxies went out your way and held you guys out in that tight situation. Yeah. And again, one of the points that people do make on the show is creating those friendships, creating those business relationships, so to speak, to call upon in times of need and uh, removing yes, everyone from this entire idea that it's every man for himself and to benefit everyone around you. And if you're all winning all at once, then it's better than individual people being ahead. Absolutely. Moving on to the next question. If you could go back in time and do some things differently with up, what would it be and why? Thinking a lot about this one, just after reading these questions. And I honestly think that our path has been very organic in the sense that we haven't forced anything. You know, we've never, one thing that I've never been good at, I'm not big on social media. Um, in my personal life, I've always had a small group of friends. Um, so I'm not a good salesman. I've never been a good salesman where I can't be slimy and say, hey, like you need this product, you need this product. Um, and that's kind of how we we founded ourselves in saying, you know what, our, our marketing or be, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Look at what we've created. Here are our speeds. Here's what we support. And that should be enough for you to make this decision. Because it is, I mean, it, a lot of this does come down to numbers at that point. Um, so our growth in my eyes has always been very organic in the sense that I've never ended up in anyone's DM saying, hey, I want to sell you my monitors. I've never contacted a group owner saying, you should change your monitor company from these guys to us. We just don't do that. We don't, we'd rather people come to us because they want the product and they've shown up there because they heard about it or they saw it and said, wow, this is much better than what I'm using or these guys seem like they know what they're doing. Um, that has been such an important foundation of our company because we haven't had to force ourselves on anybody. And I think all things considered that has really helped us in being a consistently uh, followed company, right? If, you, if you're constantly chasing the hype, then you're only gonna attract people that blow with the wind. And when your product isn't doing as well as it was before, they're just going to flip-flop to somebody else because you're not doing what they need to do. Um, a lot of our clients aren't like that, where they've been with us for a long period of time. They know how hard we work. They know how, how good we are at what we do. And there are times where we have a bad week or we miss a big drop or whatever, but they understand how dedicated we are to this product um, and will continue to stay with us throughout. So I really appreciate that. Is that they're they don't blow with the wind. They've they've definitely stuck with us through through times of uh, ups and downs. Once again, touching on that uh, business uh, mindset and business approach to Guap, customer satisfaction and obviously uh, customer relationships, maintaining those and creating a relationship with the consumers is definitely a good way to maintain uh, confidence in the product. Like like you said, when you miss a big drop if 
your customers come to you and be like, okay, you missed X, Y, and Z, but we're still going to say with you because they're confident in your abilities to continuously improve the product, then that's obviously something you want with uh, your product base. Moving right. on to the final question. Going into 2020, what is on the books for Guap? Do Are we seeing any automation softwares venturing? Are we seeing any uh, partnerships in the future? What is on the books? So we have a lot of stuff in the pipeline that I feel like it just keeps building. Um, we obviously released our um, introduction to the API that we're building, um, which is fundamentally finished. Um, the only thing that we're really waiting on is bot developers to have the time to actually integrate it. Uh, Shopify has been a pain in the butt for pretty much everybody right now. Um, so having the time to step away from you know battling bot detection to integrate our monitors is obviously secondhand. Um, but I am so excited for that to finally roll out and give users the power to not only incorporate our monitors into their bot, or but incorporate multiple monitors. Um, and that's something that we've talked about with a lot of our competition and saying, hey, we want to create this technology. We want it to be a standard. We don't want to be competing with other bot companies to say, hey, why don't you integrate us instead of them? So the entire goal in, in building this API was anybody can integrate the monitors if they want to. And all users could say, you know what? I don't want to run Guapper. I want to run Guap, Glarinaries, and BIP all at the same time, and I can do that. Um, so that we're extremely excited for. And I think we should have that fully rolled out um, with the user dashboard available to use in, I'm hoping, the next two weeks. Um, we just have a couple of small things to finalize on the front end and then just tying that into the back end. Um, we are almost fully migrated over to our own data center. Um, we just started leasing our own rack in Ashburn, Virginia. Um, we are in the same exact data center as Shopify now, which is really fun. Um, mm -hmm. So we're hoping to really cut down speeds to the point where we're as optimized as possible. Um, obviously Shopify has been our, our bread and butter. So that's, that's kind of what we're most excited for in that, in that regard. Um, but I'm hoping that that kind of allows us to open up the door to, Hey, now we have all of this rack space and all of this internet availability. Let's start selling proxies. Let's start allowing people to rent servers from us because we're in Shopify's data center. Why would you not want to have proxies and servers in that same data center? Um, and so I think that will allow us to kind of open up more to a broader tool set that we can offer to to the users. Um, and part of that may be some automation. Um, we've we've done some fun stuff with that in the past, uh, but we also recognize it's it's a lot to deal with, it's a lot to manage, and it ain't easy. So um, my hats off to to these bot developers that are able to cook consistently week week in and week out because that checkout flow is exhausting. Um, and just in the pipeline, I mean, we have, we're about to wrap up an update to our sneakers monitor, which will pull all of the hunts data and decrypt it properly. So people will know, you know, if there is a stash, we'll have those coordinates for you. Um, if there's one of the AR drops where you have to scan a picture, we'll have the picture you need to scan in the embed, um, which is huge. I can't believe no one's done that yet, but I think it's just a matter of being able to crack the sneakers app enough. Um, and we are hopefully pushing out. We've got foot sites in the in the works. We've got mesh almost done on the front end. And 
Essence is happy. Porter's happy. We've got a couple of big things that I think we're eventually in the, the next few weeks going to be pushing out a pretty big um, like non-Shopify AIO package. Um, and that will be available to all of our current clients at no additional cost. So we're excited to offer that. Well, guys, you heard all that information here first. Very, very new feature next couple of weeks. If you guys are looking to get these monitors, if you guys are looking to follow Pseudoshoot on Twitter, I will leave all the links down below. All the links to go up will be down below. I highly, highly suggest you go check them out. Make sure to follow, turn on post notifications. I'm going to catch you guys next time. Peace out.